All right, everybody, and welcome to the Musical Splaining Podcast. I am your host and guitarist in the basement, Kavitaharian. And I am that sweet, sweet saxophonist of the streets, <laughs> Angelina Meehan. Uh, I don't think... We, we tried really hard with that one, you know? I don't know. It's Fiddler on the Roof, guitarist yeah. in the basement. I don't know. Kill Musicians me. in places anyway. of certain precarious natures. I... Sure. Perfect. 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 As usual. Perfect. Always on top. Yeah. Okay. And uh, today we're joined by a very special guest. Uh, he's an award-winning composer for film and video games such as Journey, Obzu, The Pathless, and most recently, and most relevant to our listeners, the brand new musical game Stray Gods. Please welcome the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Austin Wintry. Austin, welcome to the podcast. Why, thank you. It's a it's a real pleasure and a privilege I am a, I am definitely the like composer in the in the bunker uh, to keep your to keep your little uh, riff going there. Uh, I have literally nice. no windows in my studio, so it's a very it's a very good. Uh, despite not being able to claim that it's because I'm below ground or something like that, which would be a far better excuse. So, the sunlight deprived composer. Well, no, it's. Uh... That's uh, that's how we love it. Yeah. Otherwise, how else are you supposed to get your creativity? Uh, right, flowing? I was going to say this is a group of. It's that lack of vitamin it's like, D. We're, it's a group of introverts too. I think anything without windows is like, oh, that's a bonus. Like, <laughs> I love that shit. Windows, nah, yeah. Uh, but thanks again. Uh, really, really big fan. I loved Journey and I loved Abzu. I played them both like eight hundred oh, times in you. part because of the music. Um, so I'm really, really happy to have you here. Um, especially oh, discussing Fiddler on the Roof. Yeah, we've been uh, we've been trying to get something together for a while too. Like Austin, I've been. And talking back and forth and when we were just when we were talking about it and you said you loved fiddler which is why we're here to discuss this so austin why don't you plug us well, in it's so it's so funny because i'm just gonna peel back the curtain here that i pitched <laughs> the buffy musical oh right yeah. uh, and i was shot down yeah by my lovely friends here uh because <laughs> You thought it's unfair homework to watch six seasons of television as it's quite a lot as yeah. runway. I think it's worth it, yeah. but um, but you know I didn't know that you were insufficiently committed to this podcast. So <laughs> I am now yeah. brought up to speed. Shots fired. And, uh, Shots. Wow, no, but I, it was one of those where it's because I I mean obviously it was on my mind because it was one of the bonding points for our team on Stray Gods. It's like we loved that it was one of those rare musicals that is a diegetic musical. It, mm. it, it mm-hmm. Buffy they are aware they are in a musical and it's it's a it's a plot device. In fact, it's sort of the whole point of it is to get out of it or they'll die because it's sort of lethal to them. And that was a that was a little bit of a uh, inspiration for Stray Gods, where the idea oh. is that the character she has a she has a magic power to summon mm. musical numbers as a way to get the truth out of people, and so it was one of those things that mm. I thought when I when I um you know I've listened to a bunch of episodes of this show, but I hadn't uh, you know you've released like five million, and so I <laughs> was looking through the list and I thought, ooh, I've got the perfect one that that you've not talked about, and then after you, after I had to pick the pieces of my soul off the ground uh, back together after. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, such a musical sh- theater kid. So dramatic. I know. I'm sorry. It's accurate. I am a big Buffy fan. I actually have been in an illegal production of Once More with Feeling. But yeah, it did feel like. Um, really? Yeah. Yeah. I was Anya. And uh, it, I was also deeply pregnant, which oh. made it 8000 times funnier. The thought process was, I think, like we like our audience to be able to watch what we talk about in some capacity. So like, mm-hmm. 
uh, six seasons of Buffy for that context was a little hard. But you know what? Like we, it was it was a nail biter decision. I'll be real. But you know, we thank you once again for coming on and also. also bringing- I would not have I would not have lived to the end of it, of course, <laughs> sure. as well to watch that much. Although I guess it's not a musical show. It's just a regular show. It's just a one off musical. Yeah, it's one of those. So that's anyway. the genius of it is that they 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 put so much weight on the overall dramatic arc in an episode that is so outrageous. And it's anyway, I'm going to inadvertently hijack this into being an episode about that. I will be a good boy and I will not do that. Um, So Fiddler, Fiddler, tell tell us why, tell us why you loved Fiddler. What was, well, tell us what your relationship with Fiddler was and what made you want to. It's super uh, simple. It's super simple. I wish it was some deep provocative uh, response, but it's one of those where, I mean, on a visceral level, it's mm-hmm. just loaded with absolutely gorgeous, like profoundly memorable moments. And it has every musical, every classic seems to have those moments where people mm-hmm. go, oh, that's from that. Uh, mm-hmm. and, like I just recently went and saw a friend of mine was at the Pasadena Playhouse in the um, Sondheim, A Little Night Music. And I, I brought oh. a friend who wasn't that familiar with it. And he goes, that's where Sending the Clowns is from. And I think that's like a recurring Sentiment with that one, right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this one has a bunch of those as well. Uh, I just got excited because you hadn't done it yet, and I it felt like you've done everything, and you know as many as many as you've done at this point. So that that on the face of it excited me. Plus, I also grew up. We'll call it a Jewish background, sure. uh, <laughs> much like George Santos, Jewish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm a slightly more. I'm slight. I have a slightly better claim to it than he does. I suspect, but. Um, <laughs> But yeah, my family, my grandfather and his generation were growing mm-hmm. up in Berlin in 1938 and literally had to flee uh, and, and came to the U.S. as refugees like so many others. And mm-hmm. in tracing the family history, like I wasn't raised Jewish. My father kind of cast it all off when he was, you know, somewhere between being a kid and having his own kids. Uh, mm-hmm. So it was like I was exposed to a lot of it growing up. And then, of course, obviously spending any time with my grandparents and, and their generation, you know, you got a dose of it. I went deeper with it. I discovered that they, they, they really came from like, you know, these very sort of Polish Hasidic ultra kind of traditional uh, roots. You know, if you go back even further generations, I'm only even alive today because of some of the, the strange quirks of history associated with that. And just like the mm. domino effects that began 130 years ago kind of stuff. And um, as one of the few, like obviously Jewish composers is like half of the Broadway tradition. Um, mm-hmm. but all that's not even the reason why I picked it because it has, it is <laughs> the movie version in 1971 has one of my single favorite pieces of movie trivia ever, which is, oh. I oh, often I'm, I'm, say you have a guess of what it is. Or, do you already know what it is? I, you go? Uh, I have like, my first guess is that it was shot through a stocking, uh, which is one of my favorite pieces of trivia about this movie. Most of this film was actually shot with a woman's silk stocking over it what to bring the out the Browns in it. Yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> so, it's yeah. like old filter. Yeah, yeah, Hashtag yeah. Filter. Yeah, uh, but that that was my piece of trivia. But there's a lot. Of, I, 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 well, I'll let you finish it because I also really love this movie. But um, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. Like, I'm amazed that that's an effective technique. So, John Williams, the most Oscar-nominated person alive, and only the and second only to John Will- uh, to uh, Walt Disney, with he has 52. I think it's 52 or 53 Oscar nominations. It's 53, I think. He's won five Academy Awards. And what people always forget is if you go back in time, 1993 was the most recent one for Schindler's List. 1982 for E.T. was the one before that. 1977 for Star Wars was the 
his third, 1975, for Jaws, which is really the score that put him on the map, mm-hmm. was his second and his first Oscar win was 1971 for Fiddler on the Roof ah. in a category that no longer exists because back in those days, there was this you probably do know because it probably has come up uh, in some way or another here with you guys before, but like in the same way that every other movie right now is a Marvel movie in the you know 50s and 60s and early 70s, Every other movie was a, an adaptation of a Broadway film. Like that was the constant push. Mm-hmm, and you have mm-hmm. obviously so many classic adaptations from that era um, that are for so many people, the definitive version of it. And, and so there was so much so that the Oscars had a, had three music categories. They had best song, best score, like best original score and what is effectively best unoriginal score, but it was best adaptation score. And it meant adaptation score, uh. like somebody is hired to score the movie version, you know, like, but Leonard Bernstein yeah. did not work on the West Side Story movie, for example. It was like, we need to bring people who are, are Hollywood people to fashion a score for the scene, like a traditional movie score for the scenes between the musical numbers. And they had a whole category for that. And that's what John Williams went for as the, as the composer of the underscore and arranger of the sort of backing tracks, as it were, for the song. So I've always loved it. This film that has nothing to do with his music is actually his first Oscar win. And that was, so, so he's had a special place in my heart as somebody who reveres John Williams. And so that was ultimately, like I said, I have a very shallow reason why I saw that. And I went, ooh, I like this one random fact about Oscar trivia and John <laughs> yeah. Williams. So let's <laughs> devote our lives to a podcast of Fiddler on the Roof. Amen. You're I not going to get any pushback on this end. We are, we love John Williams. Angie. Tell me about, tell us about your relationship to Fiddler. When did you see it? What did you love about it? Et cetera. So I, I think I've talked a lot about my family being big on family movie night and my family also just being like a, mm-hmm. a, just a cadre of annoying attention kids who wanted attention. So we all just gravitated towards musicals, even if we weren't musical theater kids themselves. And uh, Fiddler on the Roof was a regular one in our house. Like we watched this movie so many goddamn times. I've seen this movie probably more times than I've talked to members of my family. I uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, like I just, I just know, you know, the words still high more than I know. Like, Oh my kid, my cousin had a kid. I don't know that kid's name. Oh no. Um, but so I've seen this 8,000 times. This is like my dad's, my, if I had to think of like, what was my dad's favorite Broadway show? It was Fiddler on the Roof, which is very funny because he was the most Irish Catholic man to have ever walked this green earth. Um, <laughs> but loved, loved, loved this movie. And um, so just kind of grew up on it. And then also I have been in a couple of productions of it which is in itself a thing to unpack, but in like middle school and high school, because it is a very, I will say this, it is a very popular um, school show. Yeah. Uh, and I think the reasons will become very apparent why um, if for, for you, but like uh, I've been in a couple productions of it. I've just, I've just, yeah, I just, I don't know. Like you can't, it's a show that has a life in and of itself. It is such a big show that you, it's kind of hard to escape it. Even if you've never seen it, I've seen mm. it's had 8,000. So those references you don't even know are from it. There's been 8,000 professional productions of it. I've seen a couple. I saw the Alfred Molina one back in 2005 with him starring as Tevya. I saw the Danny Burstein. One. I just, I, I just, I don't know. The show has kind of followed me weirdly my whole life. And I, I just really, really um, enjoy it immensely. And also to go back to John Williams, I remember seeing it as a kid who was of course raised by boomer parents who love movies and being like, Oh, John Williams in the credit and being like, well, this movie's automatically cool. Cause you know, as a Star Wars kid and an Indiana Jones kid, ah, yes. that's true. So I've actually never seen Fiddler on the Roof from start to finish, although I do have a funny story. Going based off what you said about high school shows, um, I was in high school and my friend Logan and I had a third friend. His name was Doug. And he was this very sweet guy. He was totally a weirdo. We loved him to death. He ended up being in a production of this that was playing somewhere in Lafayette. This must have been like 1999 or something. And we were so excited that Doug was in a show and we were like 
we went and we were basically going to like rage support him because we were so happy that he was in it. <laughs> and he was like, his name was like in the, in the pamphlet and all that. And we we're like, Oh, he's playing a character named Moisev. I have no idea if that's like a big character or not, or if that was just a random person that's in the background. Anyway, we got there. Doug was in it. He's part of the sort of, you know, chorus of people that are dancing. And then he doesn't really have like any lines. And Logan and I, in our like 16 year old, like just crazy hormonal, young, stupid boy bodies, were just sort of like, why, why isn't there more Doug? Why isn't there more Moisa? What the hell? <laughs> they threw us, they threw us out of the theater. They were like, uh, I think you boys should leave because you guys are being too loud. <laughs> so we actually didn't even finish watching it because we got thrown out for being too upset that our friend didn't have a larger role. Obviously, in retrospect, I realized that it was very disrespectful and rude and idiotic. And this is why young boys are dumb. But so I apologize to anybody who was in that production in, oh God, like I said, must have been 1999 of um, <laughs> Fiddler on the Roof. So it was I left hanging. I have no idea what happened. <laughs> well, boy, That's so funny. I think you getting kicked out of a high school production of Fiddler on the Roof uh, for being too much of a bro is the most comic kind of thing I can think of. And it's like, I, I love that. That's very too sweet. Hype. I have a very funny. I brought bro energy to Fiddler on the Roof. <laughs> you broke too hard at Fiddler on the Roof, man. You broke it too hard. You broke the rules. Uh, I have a really great anecdote about my high school production of it that I will say for the second part when there's a little more context behind okay. it. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's go into the notes. Yes. Let's get okay. to it. Uh, Fiddler on the Roof. Fiddler on the Roof is a 1971 American musical film produced and directed by Norman Jewison from a screenplay written by Joseph Stein. It is based on the 1964 stage musical of the same name with a book by Stein, music by Jerry Bach and lyrics by Sheldon Harnick, which is in turn based on the Tevye the Milkman short stories by Yiddish author Shalom Alakam. 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 Uh, the film stars uh, Topol, Norma Crane, and Molly Picon. Picon? Picon? Picon, I believe. Picon, amongst a cast of many. Set during the final years of Imperial Russia, Fiddler on the Roof tells the story of Tevya, a poor Jewish milkman struggling to marry off his five daughters. Oh man, five daughters. So well done. Uh, while hostility. Excuse so many. <laughs> I have uh, one daughter and it's a it's lot. Still one less than my grandfather, <laughs> but. <laughs> Uh, while hostility and tension in his little uh, shtetl, shtetl, man, I'm just taking going to the woodwork today, uh, to the woodshed <laughs> today. Yeah, I like it. Of Anatevka begins to grow. Uh, as his older daughters begin to make demands about who they want to marry, Tevya is forced to contend with what his devotion to God means in a world that is rapidly changing around him. Will Tevya be able to let his daughters follow their hearts? Is it ever okay to make up lies about your grandmother-in-law's ghost? Does the existence of a fiddler on the roof imply the existence of the of a cellist in the drywall? See, that's much better than what I started with. <laughs> All this and more in Fiddler on the Roof. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, the original I put that one in for you. The original extra spicy. Ah, uh, yes, thank you. Sorry. After the immense success of Fiddler on the Roof's Broadway and West End runs, a film version of the show was produced on a budget of nine million dollars. Like the stage show, it too would prove wildly successful, grossing more than $83 million Wow! during its initial box office run, making it the number one movie of 1971. It was nominated for eight Oscars and won three, including Best Cinematography and, of course, as Austin mentioned earlier, the Best uh, Adapted Score. Best Adaptation Score. Best Adaptation Score, sorry. Uh, said our girl Pauline Kale of the film Fiddler is an absolutely smashing movie. It is not especially sensitive. It is far from delicate and isn't even a particularly imaginative, but it seems to be the most powerful movie musical 
ever made. Wow, that's from Pauline, who famously did not like a lot of stuff. So that's no. quite... <laughs> Wow. And this was this is this was this came out of, towards the end of like the roadshow period, like you know after like Hello Dolly and um, uh, Doctor Doolittle and yeah and, and Man of La Mancha yeah. had just kind of ruined it. This got like the full roadshow release and um, yeah, it did quite well for itself. I watched this movie fairly recently for the first time in several years and was kind of really blown away by it. I was like doing a live Twitter thread about it and people were like, oh, Angelina's in her fiddler on the roof hours. And I was like, walked away from it being like actually Uh-oh. really genuinely kind of impressed by it. I will say uh, that said it is uh, it, one. It's a very fair. It's a very, very um, um, faithful adaptation to the source material. It only cuts like two songs. It ad- what it adds in is pretty minimal. And uh, two, um, it's quite long, Kaveh. So <laughs> buckle in. Great. Um, but Wonderful. Yeah. Looking forward to <laughs> it. One of your favorite it. things. But uh, uh, I'm always excited for a reason to watch it again. Uh, you know me. I'm cool like that. It's not hard to please me. Just give me a beer yeah. and Topol singing if I were a rich man and I'm happy. I'm impressed that you watched it so many times as a kid. And yet that is your response to it now. Like that's almost a like a Stockholm syndrome of, of uh, <laughs> you know, I, I was so... I was so kind of faced with it, you know, that, that is, I like that. It, it would be very easy for you to hate it. So right. easy and yet. Um, and on that note, if there are any other, anything else we should think about before we go watch it, you two, or should we go and, uh, you know, just raw dog it. Our time? <laughs> yeah. Raw dog um, it. Austin, any, any parting yeah. thoughts before we go? Can't top raw dogging it. Let's do it. Okay. No. Fair enough. And on that note, oh, going to go raw dog filler on the roof. Jesus Christ. All right. We'll be back. (laughs) And we have returned. Yes, we've returned to tradition. I feel like you have to say that at the beginning of it. (laughs) As is the the tradition of this podcast, we went and watched (laughs) the movie musical and we're returning to discuss it. Exactly. Like to every season, there is a time where we bitch and then a time where we come back and bitch some more. Um, as the good book says. Uh, but yes, uh, we just came back from <laughs> watching the 1971 Fiddler on the Roof. And I am just now internalizing how much of this movie and this musical is really an intrusive thought. Because we had a pre-conversation about this. <laughs> like like yes. 10 minutes ago where we both logged on. And the first thought was tradition. And it's mm-hmm. like, you will mm-hmm. never unhear yeah. that. You will live the rest of your life once you have heard that song. Just in the back of your head hearing. Do, 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 do. Yeah, tradition. Um, but yeah. Uh, 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 yeah, <laughs> real quick. Let's do a, as quickly as we can. I know we have a lot to discuss. Uh, let's go ahead and do our breakdown. Uh, sorry, our summary of Fiddler on the Roof. So I got to say, as far as premises are concerned, this is one that delivers immediately. It begins with a guy fiddling on the roof. I was like, good for them. They really... <laughs> dropped the name so quickly they made it happen they were like i heard you like fiddlers on your roof so we put some fiddlers on your roof dog and like just like put that there yeah. immediately like the promise Amazing. was there i was like i was i was not disappointed uh okay uh so yes uh i can speed read this musical in my dreams yeah let's do it let's so let's go yes okay so it is in the early 20th century russia imperial russia we meet tevya who is a poor milkman and at the beginning of it he's talking about the traditions of of anna tevka this small village in uh, the Russian Empire and everything has a place and a purpose and at the beginning of the show uh, he has so he has five daughters and the three oldest ones are of marriage age and they're Zaitl, Hadl, and uh, Hava and they all have their own dreams about marriage and at the beginning of this we find out that the rich butcher 
Laser Wolf wants to marry Zytel, who is very much uh, enamored with the poor Taylor model cams oil. Uh, real made quick a- to interrupt, arguably one of the coolest names I've ever heard in like any Laser musical Wolf? ever is Laser fucking Wolf? Laser Wolf. I was it's like, the Jesus, fucking coolest this is awesome. name. <laughs> coolest goddamn name ever. Uh, so uh, basically what happens... <laughs> We have that all going on, and um, so basically, uh, after Sabbath happens, uh, Tevya's wife is like, um, I- I'm skipping over some character beats here, where Tevya talks about how he wishes he wasn't poor, and you know, there's calamity kind of going poor, in the background yeah. of the town. The framing, the framing device, yeah, is that he's always he's kind of talking to God, yes, and, uh, yes. occasionally questioning, like. He's just like, I don't know why. He doesn't understand why, but he sort of is like, okay, I'll trust you. He breaks the fourth wall. It's sort of half talking to the camera, half talking to God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wants to be rich. He wants to provide for his daughters. He's a very relatable kind of like good father figure. Yeah, he's a dude. He's such a dude. He's like such a dude. And so uh, he's a bro dude. Right. So his wife Golda sends him over to Laser Wolf's. <laughs> they drink and Laser Wolf is like really he's he's wealthy. And so Zytel, he's like, oh, well, he's too much older than Zytel, but he's also wealthy. And, you know, this seems like a good idea. So they drink to it. Yeah. And then and his name is Laser Wolf, which is, is also Wolf. like a plus for him. Fantastic. He's like, my daughter's got to marry a guy named Laser Wolf. Yes, exactly. Uh, they drink on it. Uh, but then like as Tevia's leaving home in his drunken stupor. The um, Christian uh, chief of police is basically like, "Hey, there's going to be a demonstration that happens in Anatevka, and like it's 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 uh, early 20th century Russia, so you know it's going to be a very mm-hmm. anti-Semitic time." But so like, it's not going to be, yeah, great. pogrom, yes, exactly. Yeah. And so um, uh, that's going on in the background. Tevi wakes up, and then Zeidel and Model are like, "Hey, no, like we want to get married." And basically, Model feeds a line that Zeidel fed to him, like, "Even a poor tailor deserves to be happy." And Tevia mm-hmm. has this mm-hmm. moment of like, "Uh," but he. He ultimately is a good guy and so he's like i agree to this but then he has to lie to his wife about why there's like some sort of figure out a way yeah spiritual again, wife guy <laughs> wife guy <laughs> right he lies to his wife golden says that like her grandma's idol is like um laser wolf's dead wife is going to curse the family if if Zidal marries yeah. him and so like you know that a very cool sequence where he wakes up from a dr- he quote unquote wakes up from a dream about this yes. and it's like this weird like there's a dream sequence goth. <laughs> Yeah. It's like a goth Halloween, like Russian Jewish, like awesome. It's cool as shit. Yeah, it's so it's I, lo- I love it so much. Uh, and then so his- that was my favorite scene in the whole movie. I was like, that's cool as fuck. I was like, I'd watch a whole like Halloween just- thing, like just based on that. But. Uh, oh, also, meanwhile, they hire this poor uh, guy named Perchik who to be a teacher for his daughters. And Perchik is something of a upstart intellectual who is basically like, I guess he's like a tanky. He's like, hey, hey, hey. like um, socialism is good, actually. And uh, mm-hmm. falls for the second oldest daughter, Hoddle, who likes to fight with it. It's like the most romance novel thing. It's like he's poor and an upstart all, yeah. and she's like, but they're so into each it other. It gives you like all three versions of what you want. It of like super all does. Three all the three it's older like daughters are every love yeah. <laughs> oh, they're, they're every romance novel. Uh, but so like that's happening in the background. But anyway, so they agreed to have Zytel and Model get married. Zytel and Model get married and there's like this whole fight that happens at their wedding and then... Um, because Laser Wolf is like, bro, you should have let me marry the child bride, not like the guy that's actually her age. That sucks. Right. We I agreed. Was it was tradition. Then- that's the current thread of this. This is this was tr- like the tradition is that we yeah. agreed upon this and this is like what it is. And Tevya stands up for, you know, this decision and a fight breaks out. But then it is all basically overshadowed by the fact that a pogrom happens at the very end of this and the wedding mm-hmm. is ruined. And uh, that's that's act one in a very short nutshell. And then act two starts. Yeah. And we're a couple of months ahead in time. Zaito 
Beagle and Model have started their family. Basically, the big inciting event of the second act is that Perchik proposes to Hoddle, but also is like, I'm going to Kiev to do work and then, like, you know, to do work for, for basically, like, for protest, basically, and uh, to be a revolutionary. Yeah. And that's um, his job now. He went on Indeed, and it was like skills that you have. It's like preaching, like, you know. Uh, he had to upload his resume, but then he had to also put in afterwards, even though he had just uploaded the resume about being a revolutionary. It was right. very tiresome. But he's like, he, he like works well with teenage girls, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but <laughs> so, so his Indeed is very interesting. Uh, found the job, but he's like, hey, I'm going to go there. But before I go, I want to propose to you, Hoddle. And Hoddle's like immediately like, yes. And so it's kind of this repeat scene of when Zeidel and Model go to, Tevya and say they want to get married but this time they're like we're not asking for your permission we're saying like this is what's happening and so it becomes another moment for Tevya to be like my faith and tradition versus what I want for my daughters to be happy. For my and daughters, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's always kind of like the, the, the bend is basically, the, you know, the symbolic, like the old versus the new. And he agrees mm-hmm. to it. And then, you know, of course he goes off to Kiev and, you know, he's uh, having a protest and then he gets arrested and sent to Siberia. Gets and Siberia. Yeah. And Hoddle is like, I'm going to go there and, and be with him. And so he has yeah. to say goodbye to his daughter that he's likely never going to see again. And so that happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then there's this third. So with the the youngest, oldest daughter, there's five, but the, there's three of marrying age. As I said, uh, Hava falls in love with a non-Jewish man, a Russian named Fietka. And uh, this all culminates in, in Hava being like, I want to marry Fietka. Uh, and this is where like Tevya reaches his breaking point, basically. Like, and, mm-hmm. you know, it culminates with him being like, nope, she's dead to me. And, um, after this, it's uh, the the biggest thing. After that, is that um, following the violence that happened in Anatevka, the Russian government says that all yeah. the Jewish people must leave Anatevka. To leave, yeah, and they all got to go. Well, just to and back up, she she goes and gets secretly married to him. Yes, anyway. she does. Yes, she gets secretly so married like, to him. It's it's like a descending thing where at first it was a big deal, and then the second one they say we're not even going to ask your permission. We just want your blessing, and then the third one they don't even fucking tell him. They just do it. So you know, yeah. By the end, he's just sort of this like, what of like, who am I anymore? Like, no one listens to me. I'm the head of the family. Right, no one cares. right. And it's very funny because like this, this show is billed as a as a musical comedy. But the first the first act is very funny, and the second act there are pockets of it being funny. But the second very act sad. is basically Tevya getting kicked in the nuts. It's so yeah, yeah. <laughs> brutal. That happens. They get married, and then they basically are kicked out. And then they have this last song on a Tevka, which is basically that because it's all these people being like, "This town wasn't that great. We should have set a match to it long ago." You know, this is why we're always we're yeah. keeping our heads. Like, there's all this like gallows humor in it, but like the the reality is is mm-hmm. like, oh, all of these people that you've gotten used to because it is a very much fleshed out town with on a Tevka, all of the side characters and townspeople mm-hmm, and whatnot, mm-hmm. and uh, you know this idea that like they are all having to say goodbye. And some of these people, when they tell you where they are going you know some are going to america some are going to poland some are you're just kind of like and this is you know 1910 so it's like a very the band is breaking up yeah it's breaking up and if you know anything about the future it feels more like going off to college kind of thing like at the end of high school where it's like all these people that you've been close with are sort of going across town or across the country whatever there's a that that very funny, relatable America joke where if you have any family that has come from any other country going to the United States where Laser Wolf's like, I'll be in Chicago. And Tevye's like, oh, we're going to New York. Yeah. We'll be like right next to each other, which is like yeah. super funny to me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it basically ends, uh, yeah, with this this really sad song about how every single person in this town is now being immediately displaced. And there's this idea of like, you've put your identity into one place into like, not, and to the people of it. And now that is gone. And so... What do you become next? And, you know, it ends, of course, with 
as a, a lot of like a visual centering device of this movie is Tevya pulling his cart, whether it's with this horse limping mm-hmm. or whatever, it's Tevya pulling his cart and ends with Tevya pulling his cart of his things, of those, his worldly things that he owns and then being followed by, you know, the fiddler who is meant to represent, the you fiddler. know, 8 million things. And then that's the end of the movie. So <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. that's sorry. Except he's not on the roof at the end. He is not on the roof. He's quite he's on just, the ground. He's just walking behind yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah. He's quite on the ground, but that is, that is the summary of fiddler on the roof as quickly as I could do it. Well done, and I, Angie. I feel like I maybe lost some nuances there. Um, but yeah, that's Fiddler. Uh, so yeah. Nicely done. Thank you. I tried. I, I tried. I watched this, um, uh, I watched this in two parts cause like it's, as I get older, it gets kind it's of long. It's, it's over three hours it's too. Quite it's, not, long, it's not a short movie to watch. And it's yeah. very, very visceral and emotional. You know, I was just like, after the first yeah. act, I'm just like, Oh, I need to take a break. I I'm steadfast in my belief that it rules though. So I will just put that out there, but yeah. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I think I mentioned the first part I watched this like about a month ago and cause like I was just kind of in one of those, like I've had two glasses of wine. I'm trying to go and revisit mm. my childhood <laughs> and I watched it then, but I wasn't like paying attention to cause I was sitting on my iPad and drawing and, you know, writing and doing all sorts of mm-hmm. stuff, but like watching it again, like, like I didn't finish it because it was so, it was like too much when I looked up. So it was kind of like, Okay, <laughs> especially now, like the th- the thing that 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 uh, made it really interesting and uh, poignant now is having a daughter. And I made a joke about like one daughter being a lot, and I don't mean that. I actually like really love being her mom, and just being a parent to anyone in general is a lot because if it's a piece of your soul. And like watching, yeah, uh, that watching Fiddler on the Roof through that perspective, where it's not just like oh, it's about daughters or whatnot, but like that children are a piece of your soul, and. Yeah. These are pieces of your soul actively leaving you and defying what you know in all the world. Like that was mm-hmm. what was really potent to me about watching it this time. Does that make sense? <laughs> like, no, I was actually thinking a lot about what you said before we went to the break where you had said that your dad had this on like constantly. Yeah. And you're like, despite being a sort of devout Catholic, you're like, you thought it was strange that he watched it. And I remember watching it and being like, oh, no, I totally get it. Like this is full on like a dad musical in like the most literal sense of it. Like (laughs) if you're, if you're any kind of father, I mean, obviously if you're any kind of parent, obviously, but I mean, in the sense that like Tevye is literally the father of these five daughters and like it, it, it's really like his all consuming thing. It's, it's not about tradition as much as it is about tradition in the context of his daughters. Like that's the thing that like he's obsessing about all the time and thinking about and like, is this the right decision for each one of them? Is, is he like forgoing some part of who he is and like not, I guess prov- not only like, is he worried about obviously providing for them financially, but he's also worried about like, what is, what are the lessons that he's like allowing them to take from his his uh, interactions with them and, and also how they kind of like, you know, they twist his arm in certain ways and he feels bad about it because he really loves them and he wants them to be happy and he's willing to sort of like go back on these traditions. It's really like more than anything. It's really about that uh, relationship that he has with them in the I, I don't want to say like it's eroded in a bad way necessarily, but just sort of the way that it evolves over the course of the film. And that's I, that's really the heart of it. And I feel like that's what makes it such a good it's such like a powerful it's hard to not be charmed by this movie at least like on an emotional level like it really does do that heavy lifting and make it this very universal story about like even if you're not jewish or familiar with any of the jewish traditions like presumably like you know for people who have relationships with their fathers like you'll you'll relate to it on that level or even if you are a father or if you are a a parent like 
that relationship of having daughters, obviously like having a kid is different. I feel like having a daughter is a very specific relationship as opposed to having a son, particularly at that time. Yeah. I was going to say it's very specific, especially in that context. But like, I don't want to be like the more things change, you know, the the Kennergy and the Patriot. Sorry, I'm just coming out of Barbie, but like uh, (laughs) a son is a different kind of thing, especially in this context where you don't have to be super proactive about them or you have to, you don't have to engage so much with diverging from the narrative. You know, when you have a daughter in in this context of the show, it becomes like how much do you, you value your daughter as a human mm-hmm. being versus, yeah. you know, rightfully what you know, you know, that sort of thing. Like, it's not like a necessarily a bad thing that Kave or not Kave, Tevye, sorry, I'm so. Uh, <laughs> that was me, actually. I was the was lead you. in the entire that, film. That, that Tevye right. is conflicted. Like, you understand where he comes from and why he feels, feels, you know, so protective of what he knows. But like, yes, like how much do you value the dreams and uh, of your daughters and like that? Like yeah. that, 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 that is the conflict ultimately is like, I think really interesting and really powerful. You know, it's not just about coven yeah. tradition. I keep saying coven Tevye. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long ass day. They sound, sorry. Um, uh, I'm so sorry. I love it. Uh, uh, but like, it's, it's, it's just. Do not apologize. I think it's an excellent way of describing this film. It's kept my interest. You I'm just... like Donald Trump looking at the, uh, the presidential <laughs> briefs, as long as my name is in bold. Right. Uh, but it's, I'm following. But the fact that it is about keeping um i think his daughter is happy and centered as human beings is 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 very interesting to me it's like within a very yeah. like complicated context you know and I, I i love that about it and i think that's yeah it's it's charming like that that that's basically what the I conceit agree. is you know um it's not about yeah. like finding his son's wife it's about how do i keep my daughters happy and my children happy and like the, mm-hmm. his daughters basically all yeah. ultimately represent the world to come you know and like having to contend with yeah. the world to come and it, it did kind of remind me of Sound of Music for mm. similar reasons. And sure. I feel like it, Sound of Music kind of does follow that same structure where like every one of the ones in the first half are the bankers and everything in the second half is like very dour and serious mm-hmm. yeah, and depressing. And then most people mo- only remember like the first half, myself included. I was like, and I didn't remember anything that happened in the second half of it. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, and it's also set in like amongst this backdrop of like a really big world changing event of, you know, Nazis or anti-Semitism kind of cre- encroaching. So I wonder if how much of that is deliberate. Or just like a a carried over thing from that previous structure. Yeah. Well, you know, what's interesting to me is like, so Norman Jewison, who directed this, also directed like my favorite movie in the entire world, Moonstruck. And uh, yep. rewatching this, I was like going like, especially when I watched it last month. But again, I'm just like, there is this kind of like charming fatalism to it that runs in it. Where like speaking to your point of like the, how this ends on kind of like a really massive downer, but it doesn't feel like a massive downer. And like, I feel like, um, Norman Jewison as a director is incredibly good at balancing out like that life's like, I don't know. Cause like, I, 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 sorry, this is kind of getting into a tangent about it because what I really, really like about this movie in terms of it being a musical is that it kind of knows when to find these kind of almost pockets of little magical realism where like, Tevye's mm-hmm. not necessarily singing, but his voice is going on the over. And then we're doing like these really like weird field distance things with his daughters as he's thinking to himself. And like, they're not very like stagey musical moments, but they're these really cerebral, like dreamy. Yeah. And like, he's able to find these little moments in that where it's like, it's not necessarily musical, but it's big and it's out there and it's dreamy. And he applies them so well to these to to like the actual book itself because this movie is not very different from the stage musical in and of itself like it follows it pretty mm-hmm. letter by letter besides cutting a few songs and then like making a few minor changes to the book like you had mentioned earlier um austin but uh yeah like it's just like finding these 
very, I don't know, like, it's it's just, like, it's not magical realism, per se, because it all still is very rooted in reality, but, like, yeah, it's it's finding the language of film and just kind of building things out a little bit more, and I think that's maybe why you're kind of able to accept the reality of how dark this show gets, is because, like, I don't know, like, I sit in my darkest moments. As far as the musical components are concerned, it also does have a lot of these, like, you know, I guess you'd call them diegetic dance sequences. Sure, yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Like not necessarily ones where they break out into dance for no reason in the middle of it. It's like there's the bar sequence after he goes and speaks with Laser Wolf, and then there's like that kind of dance battle between them and the, I guess, future Bolsheviks. I'm not quite sure what they are at that Just point. Just the Russians. In history. <laughs> The, the, yeah, the, the Russians. The Christian like, Russians, yeah, yeah. Which is a scene that, again, Russians. as a kid, like, having seen it eight million times, I'm like, oh, that's a scene. And then as an adult watching it, you're like, this is making me sweat, like, on a metaphorical level. Like, the tension is so high in it in a way that, like, I think tiny me couldn't understand, you know? Um, like, yeah. Yeah, And yeah. then, of course, having having the fiddler himself just, like, you know, busting out into, like, random pieces, like, throughout and just having that again music becoming part of the story in a way again it's like it's literally the framing device it's called fiddler on the roof so it it allows you to have these things that don't feel unnatural so it's like a good uh it's a good it's a good bevy of like a different variations of just singing and dancing and just straight music in a way that makes it more palatable and makes it feel less like it's just interrupting something in order to sing a song or even like like you said the literal dream sequence yeah, I, I did. I did. I did actually want to ask. Sorry, because like this conversation brought it up. But so, how did you feel? I I don't know if you saw this cover the first time you'd watched it, but the bottle dance at the end uh, towards the wedding, like that's kind of like one of the big centerpieces of this movie. Is yeah the bottle dance? That's like colloquially what it's called. <laughs> and to me, oh, it's really? one of the coolest dance sequences ever. Fil- it's such a huge moment. But I have a very funny story about that in and of itself with Mike high school production the fiddler on the roof but like watching that i'm like this is the coolest thing ever like yeah um i just wanted to know like what was your reaction to to that because to me i'm like that is some of the most tremendous like film dancing like put on film no it was was great but but also as a person who recently got married i definitely got a little bit stressed out watching the wedding sequence (laughs) sure (laughs) fair very i was was definitely like oh i was like oh this feels really authentic like someone's getting drunk someone's like yelling inappropriately at somebody else there's a bunch of dancing yeah some guy wants to tell a story uh, the guy who's trying to give a speech just someone's talking for too long like uh, it all it all i i was wrapped up and then there was great music like it felt it, it it did give me a sense of like oh this felt very lived in kind of to your guys's point where you're talking about earlier like it feels like a real i, I don't know if world building is the right word because we're not it's not like a made-up world but like sure. it does feel like a very lived in place specifically so uh, it just i, have some, I accepted it as well, like a natural thing actually, within it. I, I don't i don't dislike referring to it as world building because i thought it does an amazing job at not overly relying on kind of like inside baseball style Sure. References where if you're not mm-hmm. Jewish, you it would all fly past you. Yeah. It, yeah. it feels like there's that great there's that great line that is often recited that you you both probably came across uh, where it, the show was really huge in Japan. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and they're like, you know, how did you make this so Japanese? Um, yeah. Like they're like introducing things in a, this very kind of approachable way such that that you're not. You you can get it. You can just clock it. I think it functions ident- identically to the way world building does in mm-hmm. 
you know, Lord of the Rings or anything else. I agree. And there's actually a really charming documentary that came out last year. So I want to say like, so Topol, who played Tevya, passed away this year. And then Sheldon Harbach, who wrote the lyrics to this, also passed away this year. And they were like kind of like the last two big remnants of Fiddler. But there's a really charming documentary that came out last year about the making of this film. It's really fun. You can find it on Vimeo or YouTube if you want to watch it. But so a lot of what was interesting to me about this movie is that most of it was actually filmed um, in then Yugoslavia, now Croatia. And basically what it was was like they found this town. Um, its name is escaping me. But, you know, the, the, I guess basically the people who were Jewish that remained there were the only people who had the like the um, or not the only people, but like they sought that out because they knew the vernacular of what they were trying to build. And so they were building on this village that was already, you know, heavily Jewish by history, but so much of it had been destroyed. And the people, the artisans that they got to build onto this set um, were the people that carried on that, for lack of a better word, tradition. And so like, yeah, like for, mm-hmm. for lack of a better hey, word, I the heard world, that word in this movie. Yeah, the, 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 the <laughs> world building is, is very much inherently a part of the production design of this movie. And very much like a love letter to this and like very intentional in the people that they hired and where they shot it. So like, yeah, like, like that's, I think part of the reason why it's sold so well and why you understand it, uh, like almost immediately yeah. is there's an authentic, like I know authenticity is like a, you know, um, five dollar word when you talk about art in any capacity, but like there is an authenticity to it, and at least like a, a desire for authenticity or to at least like love the thing that you are trying to tell, and you see that in Fiddler mm-hmm. like pretty much immediately. Um, but yeah, um, I did want to <laughs> say so uh, the bottle dance story that I want to talk about. So Jerome Robbins was the original director and choreographer of the stage version, and Jerome Robbins is a king of basically Broadway choreography and direction. Uh, West Side Story is kind of like his masterpiece. But uh, so he uh, <laughs> the, the film choreography is listed from that. The bottle dance is like a huge part of it. And so when I did it in high school, uh, I think, I you think know, there was Jerome Robbins final. I think so. Broadway show. Too. Yeah. 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 It was Worth kind of inserting. My Thank you. I no, please. Like you're here to insert uh, besides other things uh, <laughs> at the risk of sounding reductive. But no. Um, so it's this insane <laughs> It's insanely difficult, subtle piece of choreography that's all about body control and precision. And so when you go to a high school in Delaware and give it to a bunch of 15 year olds and say, figure it out. Uh, my memory of our bottle <laughs> dance is uh, it, it was like a it was like a reverse pyramid. It was kind of like, well, we had the bottles and then they had to go. And then we had hats that had duct tape on the bottles at the bottom. So they just were kind of always there. But then they had to go. And then it just became like, well, we have some boys in some pants dragging themselves across the scene of the stage. And then, like, I just remember it ultimately culminating in hearing, like, skin dragging across the wooden floorboard. So you get to that doot, doot, doot. <laughs> Do, 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 do. And it's just like, like, like just the knees of these teenage boys being ruined. And so watching this masterpiece of cinematography and film dance happening, all I can hear is just like, and then like the tepid applause, the tepid applause of like all the adults in the audience being like, oh, they, they did two steps together in time. And it's sure. just, Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I just really had to tell that story. There's a lot it. of preamble to it, but that's what no, I always no, no. associate with that wedding dance. It's actually sequence. really funny to me that this is such a popular one for high schools because I feel like every single thing about this would go over the head of a teenager. Sure, uh, no, I think like, I, I think it, you're right though. Like, it's such a mature, like you were saying at the beginning about it's so preoccupied with a parent's perspective. Yeah. That is that is the farthest thing you can really consciously or sort of uh, yeah. conscientiously ask a 
high schooler to really empathize mm-hmm. with. Yeah. You know, this notion of how do I, how do I reconcile long running, deeply held faith-based traditions with the fact that my daughters who I care about have their own views in the world. And I, I want to try to, you know, facilitate their happiness while also believing that adherence to the faith does facilitate happiness. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, and like as a 15 year old, I don't see a lot of mm, true, interesting. <laughs> well, on the other hand, uh, right. you know, it's like, why it's, is the dad such a stickler? He's just let her what, marry whoever he wants. Dad speaks so yeah. much work. I do love that that, that Tevya is kind of like the pre ultimate like dorky dad, where like he is kind of, like he does kind of like stick up for his daughters, but they're just like, Dad, oh, Dad. You and know, you know what? I, I also so love that when he has those little kind of monologue moments of on the other hand, on the other hand, yeah. he he um, as somebody who kind of recreationally punishes himself by watching a lot of debates online about a variety of <laughs> subjects. Yeah. Um, he, he does a really great job. It's well, really, it's really well written that he very earnestly does consider the, the opposing points of view and he does sort yeah. of represent them. Those moments, each one of those opposing points of views, you can find some part, no matter where you're intuitively wanting to kind of land on his debate, all the oppositional points brought up are always like, hmm, yeah, fair hmm. point. That's a good one. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I really like that about it. It feels very, again, it's like it's mature in a way that it's amazing. Yeah, just picturing a 16-year-old with like a fake beard <laughs> trying to <laughs> play Tevye. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> it's so funny to me to, yeah. That, and But I know that it's a huge hit that it's like routinely done like, Constantly by high school. Yeah, I I am trying to think about like, what did I really like about this as a kid growing up? And I think I just really liked the music a lot. And I like the epic, like the the, the scope of it. And like, that was what was really appealing to me as a kid. And like, I, a lot of Tevye's stuff was just kind of like, yeah, that's kind of how my mom talks or how my dad talks. And like, that's in the background. And then watching it again as an adult was actually like kind of devastating and how like on point it was about the struggle of being a parent. I'm glad that we have an actual composer who understands proper music theory. A little bit, a little bit. Yeah. Uh, On this, because I feel like Angie, I had, we had started to talk about this a little bit when we did the great comet episode and, you know, with my extremely limited grasp of musical theory and Uh not being able to actually articulate it. I'm excited that we have somebody who can probably help me as Austin knows, I will sort of keep asking questions until I kind of figured out. Yeah. So, if if there's a way or I don't know, maybe you maybe this isn't the case, but to me, the songs still feel very like, you know, kind of Broadway musically, but they seem more rooted in terms of their scales or the way that the songs are written in this. I don't know, I guess, an Eastern or Russian tradition. And I was wondering if you can sort of speak to that about what that for lack of a better word, like the fusion or the sort of crossoverness is and how it's functioning and why that might be something that at least just sounds familiar and yet feels different at the same time. They, they are deeply uh, sort of Eastern European and deeply Jewish. I mean, they, they, it's, it's extremely, it's unmistakable. It's also funny because um, obviously musicals run a wide gamut, but when you think of sort of the most, you know, I don't know, the, the ones that if you just ask an average person on the street, you know, name me five musicals and they pick, you know, some Rodgers and Hammerstein or some Andrew Lloyd Webber or West Side Story or, some, you know, maybe uh, even Sondheim, I feel like is despite being the God of 
musical theater, I, I feel like if I ask a random person on the street, they're more likely to say Cats or <laughs> Phantom of the Opera than they are, you know... Uh, a little night music or Sweeney Todd. Todd or... Yeah. Loose, yeah, exactly. And, but I, I think of, in the, and this is the, this is very, very reductive. So to any fellow composers and musicians, I'm aware <laughs> that I'm being very reductive here. But I think of pound for pound, the average piece of musical theater, right? If you just randomly pluck one of the tens of thousands of noteworthy, memorable moments that people might be familiar with, they tend to be kind of the, you know, brighter. They tend to be in major keys. They tend to, they, you know, again, I'm being massively reductive, but what, you know, I think of, you think of like most all the songs in West Side Story to me are kind of like the perfect template of what, if you ask someone picture Broadway music and this thing appears in their head, it will resemble those kind, that kind of writing. And this virtually every moment in this uh, entire piece is is much darker way more predominantly minor keys and not just the kind of standard so-called like what we would call like natural minor or, or sort of um uh traditionally in the classical music sense minor but they're the you know they're modal minors which are which are much more associated with eastern music uh like eastern european music i mean um and Russian music and 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 very much Jewish music. The temp the tempos too, right? Like there's a lot of waltzy kind of stuff going on. It's like different in that sense. Yeah, very 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 rhythmic. Um, I I love that kind of stuff. I find it just endlessly. I just never get tired of it. It's just sure. a bottomless Same. well of joy for me. I just think that 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 idiom of music. There's a lot of overlap if you listen to like Spanish music. Sure, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, you think of like um, flamenco. There's a huge, there's a, that's a Venn diagram. That's like more than 50% overlapping yeah. circles. Yeah. And, yep. uh, and that stuff's fucking great as well. I just absolutely love. So there's a, there's a streak that runs through that sort of the traditions that p- toss out of that part of the world that is just endlessly wonderful. And so I remember thinking, man, a whole, a whole show of this, this must've felt pretty novel musical language wise for a, for a, musical piece of musical theater, but either on Broadway or for a movie going public. Yeah. I mean, that was like a, that was, sorry, not to interrupt. That was like a big concern with the producers of the original Broadway Fiddler on the Roof was that it sounded too much of its own thing like that. It sounded, you'll forgive me for too Jewish or it sounded too Eastern. It sounded too old world. Like it would not like that. The the fact that they were like, this will not succeed, even though uh, Broadway has, has an immense legacy to Jewish tradition in it. Like the Fiddler on the Roof, they were like, people were worried about it being like too much that, which is like those kinds of, those kinds of arbitrary worries. One of my favorites of all time was the producers on um, The Wizard of Oz. Uh, you, you've probably heard this story before that when when they turned in the draft, uh, Harold Arlen turned in the draft for Somewhere Over the Rainbow and it starts with an octave leap with this um, yeah. mm-hmm. They go, that's too epic for a farm girl to sing that interval. Yeah. Uh, uh, no farm girl can can sing an octave. Uh, yeah. And I, I and they, they God almost, bless studio executives. They're yeah. so useful. Yeah. They, they literally almost tossed what I would argue is maybe the most perfect song ever written yes. uh, <laughs> on account of, on account of uh, such a hilarious lens through which to view it, you know? So yeah. yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all that there was a hesitation, but I love that they're like, is this too Jewish? Okay. Well let's just go all in and make a three hour film. Yeah. <laughs> let's yeah. just do it. So, 
<laughs> I love that that We're doing. concern didn't win even a little. No, it didn't. Um, and then, it, well, like, the, the, the other big concern, not necessarily with the stage version of this, but uh, with the film version of it, was very controversially, they didn't cast the person who originated the role on Broadway, which is Zero Mostel, the great comedic right. film actor. They were like, he's too funny and too stagey and too blah, blah, blah. And, like, he's too big. And they cast uh, Topol, who was only, like, 30, I think, when he originated the role of Tevya in London. Like, he was, like, 30, 31. And then maybe, I think, 36 when this film went into production. And, like, that was the big mm-hmm. controversy because, like, he's too serious. He won't make this, he will like drag the material down. And then a lot of people are also like, because a lot of uh, the original Broadway productions, production design was based on like Mark Chagall's paintings of it. So I don't, I, I'm a, yeah, I don't know if you know, like Mark Chagall's paintings are very much rooted in like this. There's yeah, this, that motif very, of the fiddler and they're very bright. bright and colorful. And I love Mark Chagall yeah. and the film kind of very saturated. Yes. And the film kind of did away with it. So there was like a lot of like because this had a fan base, like straight off the bat had a fan base. And then the film was just kind of like, no, we're doing it brown. We're doing it like we're keeping it kind of rooted to the ground and we're doing topal. And so a lot of people were just like, Oh, I don't know if this will work. And then uh, it, it still worked. Take, like yeah. <laughs> hot take. It worked. Um, which is, he's, he's also very funny. Like he's so the funny. Idea that he would be too <laughs> I love so much when he's like, I want to look at the sewing machine and we'll have to do what I say. Okay. Right. 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 He's like, I know how to handle my own wife. And then he's like, Partick has a rich uncle. Like immediately afterwards. And one of my favorite, favorite scenes in any musical theater show ever, the Do You Love Me song, which like if you're married, you feel that song in your heart, even after like two years of marriage where you just have to constantly check in and be like, hey, do you love me? Like, do you? Do you, do you like, still like me? Do you still yeah. like me? Like, we like what is love? Like, when you look at, like, younger kids and how they Maybe experience love. What, 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 that is exactly how those things I cut go. that one for the film version. <laughs> but just, like, yeah, that, like, that idea of, like, do you, st- like, what was love 20 years ago or whenever I met you? And, like, how does that hold up to, like, what I understand of love through my children? Like, do we love each other, you know? And, like, I love that scene. I could talk about that scene for forever. Um, but, yeah, I, I've There's just. a lot of things in there. There's also, I think, again, it's something that I I, saw, I witnessed so much uh, peripherally in my family life that I never really thought this film. I I found myself imagining watching it kind of as cold and and as like outsider as possible, and thinking, I bet, I bet Jewish culture looks very like harsh uh, and and very snippy and and antagonistic internally. And I, cause I love, I love the way they express love. Uh, and it, cause it's so, it's so, it's so funny to me and it's so true. I like, like at the wedding, uh, where, you know, they start, they start dancing and everyone's all aghast and like, you know, this is not allowed in a wedding. And the, the rabbi, well, it's not expressly forbidden. It's not forbidden. And then, and then I love where he walks up to dance with me and she's like, what? And he, he does this authoritative clap you'll dance with me and then i i so love how it's immediately then imitated um (laughs) to bring seidel out on the dance floor and i'm like if you're looking at this as an outsider you're like jesus these people all hate each other and i'm just like i think it's beautiful it's it's hilarious and it's 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 hard to appreciate how something that has a has a from the outside at least looks to have a, a rather harsh and kind of porcupine exterior yeah, is just kind of a way of talking, uh, and I just no, I, I, I was like, man, to, they captured yeah. that flawlessly. Yeah. To your point, you know, as a, as a my family's from Iran, they're from the Middle East. To me, that felt very familiar. 
it was the oh, opposite yeah. of, of feeling, you know, grating or strange to me. It just was, it's more of like one of those moments where you're like, they're just like us. Like, yeah, oh, of know. course, everyone's screaming at each other in the middle of a wedding. Like, that's totally normal. Like, yeah. well, yes, I get it. How'd you like, make it so Persian? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, Do they love this in America? That's so strange. My mom's side's yeah. Mexican, and I'm like, this translates one to one, like, pretty quickly. I'm like, yeah, that, that, that kind of hits. Like, it, that's that right there. Um, which I guess goes to that point of like, how did this blow up in Japan? I was just like, I don't know. Like, Fiddler's really good at translating a very specific experience to kind of a, a worldly lofty level that it deserves to be at. Yeah. Japan, I know, also is particularly uh, like, like very uh, famously, obviously, the, the struggle of retaining very old traditions. Sure. And yeah. Yeah. New world. You, if you read the book, like Memoirs of a Geisha, it's kind of the same story in a certain sense. Obviously, very loosely, but but you know what I mean? Like, it's that idea of how do you retain a thing, even though the thing you're retaining is not exactly perfect. Um, and nobody would argue that it is. And even they themselves see the flaws in their own traditions. It just captures it again, just through that that lens of like show structure and thinking musically. I remember when I saw If Then. Oh, um, oh, ooh, in, okay. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. I love that. I, I I ripped some bandaid off of something. Yeah, uh, that was yeah, that was a much bigger <laughs> reaction than I was expecting. Yeah. Um, I remember when I, I I saw it. I found the story and the the book affecting and interesting, and I found it otherwise kind of unremarkable and unmemorable. Um, and and I wasn't especially. I, I was more impressed by the deftness with which the cast would kind of tweak their costume mid scene in order to jump to the parallel timeline. I was, that was more impressive to me than just about anything else that they just would, they become the alternate version of themselves so easily. But I found myself thinking, you know, I think the problem with this show, and I, I remember thinking the same thing about fun home. Mm, oh, see, um, oh. all the most impactful moments to me were told between songs. Mm. Uh, and they didn't, they didn't let their most emotionally sort of potent, Story beats uh, come through songs. Mm. And interestingly, watching Interesting, yeah. watching uh, Fiddler for the first time in a long time, the first half leans every important beat happens in songs. And yeah. then the second half, it's it's a mixed bag. And I remember thinking it's a it's a it's a curious choice. I don't it's not one I think I would have made, even though I find it profoundly moving, that so many powerful moments are between songs, like really affecting moments in the second half that, that like I'm sitting here watching it with tears in my eyes while also this other voice in me is going, just imagine if they were singing this. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 I don't know. I don't, I don't have some big sweeping conclusion about that. I just found it a curious structure that they lean so much more heavily on music as a storytelling device in the first half. At least that's my perception. I, I, I didn't read or I haven't done any sort of digging on, how and why they arrived at these kinds of decisions. I don't know the answer, but that's yeah. how it certainly comes across to me. Well, it's very mm-hmm. funny because like the, the stage version of Fiddler at the, uh, the the opening of the second act begins with like the most like musical second act opener I can think of where it's like everyone in Anna Tevka is like whispering about gossip and stuff like that. And like the film cut that immediately. Like it is the most like in my head, the most mm. stagey of like state of like second opening acts that you could have where it's just like oh everyone's summering up what summarizing what happened in the first act and they're doing this big theatrical funny way and it's just like the film is just like nope 
nope, nope, that, that's gone, that's gone. And I don't really know if it's necessarily adding to anything besides, like, I think, like, they this was a very specific, like, we don't want it to be the first act kind of decision. And I know um, I listened to a couple of interviews with Topol about it where he was like, I want the second act to be, like, the joke not being in Tevya's eyes, basically, was kind of what he came to. Like, Tevya jokes a lot. And, you know, he references, you know, however malappropriated it is, the Bible a lot, but the second act, it becomes like, oh, when he tells Hava, fish may love a bird, but where will they live? Like, the joke is not there in his eyes, you know? And, like, that's that's kind of, like, the overall tone, I think, that they just kind of went with. Um, which is very interesting to me, because I've seen a lot of productions where they want to chase the first act energy, and it's kind of hard to come down. But, like, the first act also doesn't end with it doesn't it can't do what film does where you see like these extended acts of violence where you see the wedding just like everything that these people have is just destroyed you know like the, like right, to give yeah. a feather mattress to your daughter is a massive expense for a poor milkman and that's ripped up and that's that's not the thing yeah. that you get to see in the stage show so it is kind of like well how, how how do you come back from that whereas the first act just kind of ends with the beginning of violence in the stage show like the, the film like shows it out explicitly but it is kind of like how do you come back from that if you decide that's where you want to go you know with the material oh well one other thing that was fun, you know as i had mentioned uh, in our first part that i've always loved the trivia of john williams involvement in this film as the conductor and the arranger of what you hear in all the all the sort of backing tracks, if you want to call it that, of the of the vocals, that's all him. Um, and I've listened to bits and pieces of it, uh, you know, a million times over the years, just as somebody who's followed his career. And also even just literally, I can't remember if it was this year or last year at the Hollywood Bowl, he did the the kind of, you know, overture from the cadet, yes. as part of his... Um, I think that was last year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Last year, okay, yeah. It didn't, yeah, yeah, I couldn't play, but yeah, it was... Talked about how Isaac Stern was the violinist playing all the fiddler parts. And as someone who just knows effectively everything he's written backward and forward, um, it's funny how watching it and knowing, you know, he didn't write this musical, but my God, does it feel so him throughout the whole film because of those orchestrations, even mm-hmm. so much so that the sequence, the, well, a couple things. First off, that whole bottle dance and the entire the entire sort of wedding sequence where it, it, the orchestra becomes a big part of it, yeah, um, is such aggressive writing on the part of the orchestra. It's it's like full on epic Hollywood. I could just picture the studio musicians sweating in the in the uh, in the room <laughs> because it's just it is really really and it's so him. Um, and there's bits in there where I was like, man, that's actually. He's bumping up against a little bit some moments in like the Battle of Yavin from Star Wars with the way these <laughs> these uh, the way these brass chords mm, yeah. are voiced and stuff. Where I'm like, it's funny how you can hear a thing that's coming six years later. Uh, I always enjoy when you look at somebody's work and you can you can see the unintended prototype of something later. Yeah, yeah, yeah for and sure. um, and and his 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 body of work is full of examples of that. My favorite of which, as a side note, is the sequence in Home Alone where where Kevin is preparing all the traps around the house yeah. and John Williams all but writes yes. the Harry Potter theme yes. on accident in the middle yes. of that scene. Yes, yes I did does. notice that recently. Yeah. It's funny you say that. So that, and then also the subsequent sequence where you see the town being absolutely decimated um, and, you know, we're no longer at the wedding, but you see just like the smashing of all the windows and whatnot. I was like, man, that that's this cue actually gets quite close to some of the really, really gut-wrenching moments in... Schindler's List. Mm. Yeah, and it's actually that. funny that there's a bit of a almost one to one there uh, that it's kind of like, oh, this is the theme I write for Jewish persecution. <laughs> um, 
And uh, I, I had forgotten how much those dovetail with each other. So it's one of those where I thought, you know, seeing this through that lens of 50 years of John Williams work, it's just astonishing how clearly him it is for a thing that's not talked about when talking about John Williams. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't know how to any begin to articulate that, but like watching it again as an adult and like listening specifically to the John Williams orchestrations of that, like the help, I guess prescience is not the right word, but just like, yes, this is, this is that, this is what you know of John Williams. And it was there all before, like you knew John Williams. And that's, that's a really beautiful way of putting it. I do want to put one more fun fact about the cadenza that he composed for yeah. Isaac Stern. And I should say for mm. our listeners who are younger, Isaac Stern was the preeminent violinist of the time who himself was also a Russian Jewish person. And um, also like, it, like he was like, basically I, I'm like, I guess you would say he was the Itzhak Perlman of the day. And basically Norman Jewison went out and bought a Mark Chagall painting and put it in front of Isaac Stern. And they only got him for like two days to record the music. And they bought, they buck a fucking Mark Chagall and put it in front of Isaac Stern. And they're like, play for us. And like, that's also one of my other fun <laughs> favorite pieces of trivia about this. I this, didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, there's, again, there's a really fun documentary about the making of this movie that is great. Uh, uh, it's, it's, I think it's literally called The Making of Fiddler on the Roof. It came out last year and it's a very delightful watch. And, uh, I think it's a tremendous movie. I don't get to mention how much I think, like, the actual cinematography is gorgeous. I, I just love, like, everything about it. It's this beautiful, like, kind of naturalistic until it gets weird and, magical and whatnot kind of movie but uh anyway yeah we're running running long so yeah yeah i was gonna say one last point on that too is like i didn't realize that it basically came out like a year before the godfather but it does have a similar kind of feel in terms of like the film stock and like the limited palette and like this sort of white black and you know brown or red or whatever it is and it, it does to me in a lot of ways live within that same kind of um Film world, I guess, for like that film tradition, not, not the, <laughs> the tradition. Yeah, obviously not the mafia part of it, but sure. like, it, it it's interesting that it's a story about these uh, these people who aren't at the time immigrants. They're people who are just like living in you know this little part of Russia that they carved out for themselves within this town, and yet it still retains a lot of those same themes. Um, it's almost like a prequel. It feels sort of like the prequel to Godfather Two in that way. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry that you know the the cut two sequence in the in the Godfather Two. So. <laughs> it, it feels like you could you could do a double screening with it yeah. right there. And then you sprinkle a little bit of Dr. Zhivago in it and it, it sort of all, <laughs> it feels like a cross between those two. So it, it, it does feel like it belongs in that, that hall of, of greats that way. But anyway, you guys, um, thank you, Austin, for joining us and listeners. Thank you for yes, listening thank you so much. I'm, I'm sure uh, everybody has thoughts and opinions on Fiddler on the Roof. Uh, if you do, please go ahead and share them with us. We are at Musical Splainin with no G on the app formerly known as Twitter. <laughs> uh, and we are at Musical Splaining on Instagram. Um, Austin, why don't you tell us where you are, where we can find you, what you got coming up. Are you uh, asking me to dox myself? <laughs> yeah. Where are you? <laughs> your social security number, yeah. your bank yeah. account. I will yeah. show my tax returns. Um, the uh, I am... A Wintery, a first initial last name, all, on all the things except Instagram because someone stole it and I just couldn't get it from them. It's like a fake me that was there before I signed up for Instagram, frozen in time to what my bio looked like in like 2010 or whatever. Uh, but um, uh, there I'm A Dot Wintery uh, on Instagram because of that rapscallion. <laughs> and um, 
Uh, let's see here. Bank accounts, social security. What else am I missing? Um, um, by the time this projects. comes out, uh, yeah, by the time this releases, this episode that our fine listeners are listening to, the game Stray Gods will have come out. It is, in fact, coming out Woo. this you know, in two days relative to when we are recording. And, um, yep, it should be it should be quite something to see what people's reaction of uh, to it is, given that really know what to compare it with. It's it's sort of uh, it's sort of unusual in that way. A branching besides Buffy musical. the musical. Yes, it is. It is. It does share in common with Buffy, uh, which was this episode was secretly about all along. <laughs> all right. um, it does share that a bit in common. I mentioned that all in our yeah. our, our preamble, so that no no mm-hmm. no need to belabor that. But hopefully, folks can check it out there. On on uh, Spotify and whatnot, there will be four separate soundtrack albums for incredible, incredible five and a half hours of music. God help you if you are interested. (laughs) Um, And uh, yeah, so hopefully you know, uh, uh, check it. The game will be on every platform except mobile, basically PlayStation Four, Five, Xbox, X Series S, S Series X, uh, Switch, PC, all the various PC stores like GOG and Steam and Epic. It's it's all the places. Total Monopoly. Besides as much mobile. as I wish, I feel like I feel like that game would be perfect on on uh, on an iPad, uh, but because um, it doesn't require a controller. Nice, but um, but it's not an iPad because it's actually a real 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 motherfucker to port <laughs> things for iPads. Um, and so um, yes, in any case, uh, yeah, no, thanks so much uh, for having me. I I um I you know I I'm a fan. I I that would like I didn't really make a point of it while we were recording, but. It was definitely one of those funny things, uh, Kave, when when I, I was like already listening to the show and then at some point realized like we're we're kind of like already sort of watching each other online. Uh, How did that happen? Yeah, yeah <laughs> um, I got to say it's you've been such tremendous fun to have on this show and just like really insightful, but also just tremendous fun. Uh, so thank you so much for showing fun. up. <laughs> yeah, you, you have a you no, know, it's, it's it's my pleasure. I'm, I'm, I'm stepping into big shoes. You, you guys do. Uh, you, you guys, I just love the. The passion and the energy. I also just so love this premise. I just love like, how, well, this is episode what again? Uh, how many? Seventy-two. Seventy something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're in we're in the seventies yeah, so now. Seventy-two. For the general premise being, this isn't my thing. The fact that you've managed to milk seventy <laughs> plus hours of podcast recording plus all the hours spent watching the shows. Believe uh, me, the scars are real. They'll, they'll last <laughs> right. my whole life. Meanwhile, I'm just thriving. I'm vibing. I'm glowing. Yeah. This is like yeah, just, just getting started. <laughs> Basically, your best right. self. Right. I'm just living right now. But thanks again. Um, yeah. Thanks, Austin. You're welcome back anytime. I'm yes, sure the please. audience is going to be very excited to hear this. Please, anytime you want to come back, we would definitely love to have you again. Yeah. Whenever you're ready to talk about Buffy, uh, <laughs> we might I'm have here. to now. If, so. if the fans demand it. <laughs> oh, then now Buffy you've might... done it. Now you are absolutely going to open that up. Now there's no one who doesn't love the Buffy music. You've torn off the bandaid. You've you've done it. But <laughs> uh, fair enough. And, yeah. Uh, anything else? Angie, you can go ahead. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, if you want to. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, didn't forget I'm, about you. No. <laughs> Do you like seeing terrible art? Do you like <laughs> memes? I'm no. Y Angelina Y on Twitter. Great and art. Angelina underscore S E E on Instagram. As always, I love all my fans. I love all my friends. Life's good. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I think besides that, um, got nothing to say besides, uh, you know what? Fiddler holds up and <laughs> uh, no regrets. Yeah. Big way holds up. Go watch uh, it if you haven't. Check it out. And lastly, I'm, of course, still at Covetarian on Twitter and at Permafriends on Instagram. 
please, you guys, if you get a chance, check out our uh, sponsor yes. links. Leave us a review. Tell your friends. Tell your enemies. Tell yeah. your family. Tell people on yeah, the street. Tell, tell the tell person the who guy, wants to marry your daughter. Yeah, tell the person yes, who wants tell to marry your daughter. Tell your father-in-law. Yes. When you ask for your hand in marriage, go <laughs> right. also tell him about... Yeah, about we'll follow them. ...the podcast, yes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. Clap really hard and say it emphatically, and you're good to go. Exactly. <laughs> and un- uh, until again, then... We'll- yeah, thank you guys for listening. Oh, I'm sorry, Angie, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say thank you. Until then, I guess see you on the, on the floorboard. See you on the podcast-iverse. Uh, see you at the theater. The see, see you at the... the f- Treading the floorboards. <laughs> Look. Very telltale heart. <laughs> yes. Yeah. See you where Kava's body is buried underneath, just like beating, being like, please don't subject me to any more of this nonsense. <laughs> but yeah. thanks again. <laughs>